chapter 13 of Hosea as we close out the book this evening. Not always the favorite subjects. Israel is a naughty child. <laughs> chapter 13. Hosea. We'll finish out the book tonight. So it's um, a continuous back and forth of God's last week. We were reading the verses how God's heart was churning within him. Just an unsettledness. He, he, his justice was demanding punishment. His justice was demanding that he severely spank, if you will, his people for their sins to the point where they deserved to be completely destroyed. And yet his compassion overruled the anger and he, would, he relented from destroying them. But they had committed that sin. I want us to turn, hold your finger there and go back to First uh, Kings. Maybe it's Second Kings. Let's look here. First Kings seventeen. You read through some of these minor prophets, and you can't always catch just how disgusting of a period of time that they were living in. And this, um, it is Second Kings. Yeah, that's Elijah. I thought it. Yes, Hoshea was the last king of the southern, <clears throat> northern tribes, and they're about to be carried away. Uh, and so I want to just kind of catch a little bit of this here. Um, Ahaz is the king of Judah, Hosea the son of Elah, the king of Israel, in Samaria, and he reigned nine years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel before him. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against him, and Hosea became his vassal and paid him tribute and money. Skipping on down to verse 7. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they, and they had feared <clears throat> other gods and walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and the kings of Israel, which they had made. And also the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right, they built for themselves high places in all the cities from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves sacred pillars, wooden images on every high hill under every green tree. And there they burned incense on all high places like the nations whom the Lord had carried away before them. They did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger for they served idols which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets, every seer saying, turn 
from your evil ways. Keep my commandments and my statutes according to the law which I have commanded your fathers, which I set before sent to you by my servants and the prophets. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but they stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe the Lord their God. They rejected his statutes and his covenant and made with their fathers his testimony which he had testified against them. They followed the idols and became idolaters, went after the nations who were around them concerning whom the Lord had charged that they should not do like them. So they left the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves molten images, two calves, made a wooden image and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practiced witchcraft, soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And the Lord was very angry with Israel. He removed them from his sight and there was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. So you don't catch that reading through here other than the things that they were doing as we've, as we've covered here. But as we look at these two chapters, it, goes, it volleys back and forth. The judgment of God and then repentance. And okay, I'm, I'm going to relent. Oh, I'm going to judge him. <laughs> it's kind of like the Lord, it, that churning process that we went into detail about is, is just constantly seem to be taking place until the end here. And remember, Hosea had this 40-year ministry. He, his life, he married a, pros, a temple prostitute. It's believed that she was a temple prostitute. Had children. She would be at the home, and then she would leave, and she was just a gadabout. It was just not a good situation. But that was a picture of what Israel was doing with Yahweh. When they would get in trouble, then they would seek him sort of half-heartedly. But they kept plunging themselves deeper and deeper into idolatry. And so as we start this chapter here, we're going to see this judgment that's upon them. And Ephraim was the major tribe there. They, they had the largest of the tribes. Uh, and so they had the biggest voice. When Israel, Ephraim spoke, trembling, he exalted himself in Israel. But when he offended through Baal worship, he died. Now they sinned more and more and made themselves molten images, idols of silver, according to their skill, of all the work of craftsmen. And they say to them, let the men who sacrifice kiss the calves. Therefore they shall be like the morning cloud and like the early dew that passes away, like the chaff blown from the threshing floor and like smoke from the chimney. Yet I am the Lord your God. Ever since the land of Egypt you shall know that no God but me, for there is no Savior besides me. I knew you in the wilderness, in the land of great drought. When they had pasture and they were filled, they were filled and their heart was exalted. Therefore they forgot me. And so I will be to them like a lion, like a leopard by the road. I will lurk. I will meet them like a bear deprived of her cubs. I will tear open the rib cage. And I will devour them like a lion. The wild beasts will tear them. O Israel, you are destroyed, but your help is from me. I will be your king. Where is any other? They may save you from all their cities and your judges whom you said, Give me a king and princes. I gave you a king in my anger and took away him in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is stored up. 
the sorrows of a woman, the childbirth have come upon him. He's, un, he's an unwise son, for he should not stay long where the children are born. I will ransom them from the power of the grave and redeem them from death. Oh, death, I will be your plague. Oh, grave, I will be your destruction. Pity is hidden from my eyes. Though he is fruitful in his, among his brethren, an east wind shall come. The wind of the Lord shall come upon from the wilderness. Then his spring shall become dry and his fountain shall be dried up. He shall plunder the treasury of every desirable prize. Samaria is held guilty, for she has rebelled against her God. And they shall fall by the sword. Their infants shall be dashed in the pieces, and their women with child ripped open. I mean, this is just an incredible back and forth, back and forth, this volleying, as they described there. But Ephraim was the chief leader, uh, because they had the, the, the bigger of the tribes, and when they spoke, people listened. And they're the ones that plunge the rest of the tribes headlong into idolatry in this child sacrifice, killing their children, kissing these images. I mean, it's just the foolishness of idolatry. Um, I mean, he spent their time, what monies they had, they've spent it on these idols. I mean, the whole country was littered with idolatry. There was nothing. They, they, they took their example from the surrounding cities. And the surrounding nations. And so they would suffer the pain of their rebellion. We see in verses 3, they lack fulfillment. This is what happens if you're, you think about the people in your life that you know that have flat out just rebelled. You know, we have a prison system. And every one of those people are in that prison for this one thing. They rebelled against authority. They, they could no longer govern themselves, so they have to be incarcerated because they cannot control themselves. They don't know how to get along with people in society. They don't respect anybody else, and so they have to be imprisoned. And these are some of the things that happened to them along the way. People in rebellion never have any fulfillment in their life. They're empty. They're, they, they're trying to find. They're hurting people. Um... He uses the words here, there, and this is repeated actually. Some of this is a little bit repetition. Chapter 6 uses the same words here about the clouds that bring uh, no water. So there's, they're dry. They're, you know, this a picture of the person just so needy within. The dew that evaporates before it does any good. I mean, it's just, it's pitiful. It's, it's right there. The ability to get what they need is right before them, but it's, escapes them, so there's no fulfillment. Um, there's no commitment. There has, uh, has a word that talk, he's using this, uh, the chaff there in the end of verse 3. That you're just going from one thing to another. There's nothing stable within a person's life who, who give themselves over to rebellion. Smoke in a window. <laughs> you know, that's uh, smoke from a chimney here. Um, same, same idea. Uh, it appears for a moment there's no stability in a person who isn't living in rebellion. Uh, lack of fulfillment, the lack of commitment, and then there's a failure to just simply recognize who can actually help them. You know, a, a person that's the only there's only one solution for rebellion is turning to God. 
God is the Savior. There's no other one, right? And then again, this is a, a true thing throughout uh, Hosea. Here's, he reminds them of their past. How many people you know that were raised in a house of faith and have rebelled and yet they fail to recognize who could save them? They fail to recognize it was God who helped them to get to the point to where they're at. It, it, the, the very breath in our lungs is from him. And he's caused it, wanting Israel to, look, I brought you through the wilderness. Is there anything out there in the desert? That's why they call it a desert. It's deserted. <laughs> there's nobody there, and there's nothing to eat, and there's nothing to drink. And you think about the miracle of God's provision for 40 years. I mean, we just read through this, and we just, oh, well, la-dee-da. I know I'm not that much over 40. I'm lying. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, 40 years really isn't that long. But it goes fast, right? But on the other hand, it's a long time to live out in the desert where there's nothing there. And he's trying to remind them, I brought you through the their eyes sustained you. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. There was a, a canopy over them, a cloud by day to sort of take away the intensity of the heat. And then at night there was a pillar of the fire that kind of kept them warm. Kind of a, 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 the entropy of things sort of slowed down apparently. There was a protective covering around them. This is the way it is for us. God's all over us with, him, with himself. I, and in, when I fed them, what did they do? They just got ex, they exalted themselves and got puffed up. See, the, what was the real problem? They had a bad memory. They had uh, selective, memoral, mem, <laughs> selective memory, right? Well, you know what? Let's think about this. Now, I remember having this thought before, just before I got saved. I, I was in a real pickle, right? I'd rebelled, got myself into to a really tough situation. And us inside there's this conversation going on and the whole, you know, I didn't understand a lot of this at the time, but now as I look back on it, the Holy Spirit's gently suggesting things to me like, you know, if you you know like the thought, the rational thought that if you ask God for help, well then that means you need to live for him. Well, we don't want to do that, now do we? But we don't want to have our problem. So there's this little, you know, war going on on the inside. And so they fail to recognize God because if they really begin to think upon God, then that means they'd have to repent. They'd have to change the way they're living. And so let's just not think about God. Let's just, as it were, forget about God. I mean, we don't need God because we've got these little altars all over the place. We, we got our own thing going here. I mean, that's however they wanted to lie to themselves. So I think that's the part of the problem is that people really remember their roots. Really remember when they're in that state of rebellion, then that would cause them to, like, I got to change my ways. And some people come around, right, before it's too late. They'll suffer destruction, devoured by the enemy. Wow. Now, I don't know about you, and I know this is kind of weird, but just don't judge me now. Don't judge me. I don't judge you, so don't judge me. (laughs) 
I watch these little videos on wildlife. I, I just think animals are cool. I just have a real infatuation with God's critters. I think they're pretty cool. There's, so, uh, there's just so many of them, and they're all so different. But one of the things I've watched is the way lions attack, the way bears attack. Now, I don't like to watch that, but I just like to watch the part before they get to the prey because <laughs> these guys are focused. I mean, it's survival of the fittest. We know that. But do you consider how watching a lion, they are locked in like you cannot believe. It doesn't, you could slap them, hit them. It, they wouldn't phase them. They are focused in on their prey. They're going to lurch. They're going to grab, and they're going to take and a bear, I don't know if you know, bears, grizzly bears are the, don't mess with the grizzlies. Run from the grizzlies. Back bears, black bears, not so much. Grizzlies can run about 25 mile an hour, 500 pounds or better. One swipe can break an elk's back. They are so strong. They can track an elk down, smash its back, and it's theirs. And so he uses the lion, the bear, and the leopard. And a leopard, just a smaller cat, but they're, again, grab a, get, an, a small alligator from the back and swim through the river. They're amazingly strong cats. Aren't you glad that your house cats aren't that way? <laughs> they aren't ordinary little guys, though. <laughs> no, I thought about this. And this, is this not a foreshadowing? Because we know that Israel was sent into exile, right? Does, does a lion, a bear, and a leopard bring anything to your mind prophetically? I, I'll let you do this on your own. Daniel 7. It's his vision. He, Daniel's having a vision of the perspective of the world governing empires from God's perspective. He sees the world governing empires as wild beasts, monstrous beasts, if you will. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. What did he have in chapter 2? He saw the world governing empires as this great statue, gold, silver, bronze, iron mixed with clay. Daniel's vision showed him as a lion, a bear, a leopard, a dreadful beast with ten horns. And so is there a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to those who are going into exile that survived the judgment that the Assyrians were bringing? Very well, could be. And God, in verse 9, look, he goes on his rant, the prophet, under the inspiration. <laughs> And then, again, God breaks. I, I'll help you. You're doing all these nasty things. You're killing your kids. You're rebelling against me. I'll help you. You ever try to help a rebellious person? Whew. Man, oh man. You got to be kind of careful, right? You can enable them to keep rebelling. Or if God's chastising them and you get involved, you're going to, that judgment that's upon them is going to come on you too. You got to be careful how you, you get involved. Don't get in the way 
of what God is doing with someone because he may be using this trial to bring them to himself. So if you help them out unknowingly, you could be hindering what God's trying to do. Because how many of us came, have come to the Lord because we're going through something? We're suffering pain and sorrow. God is the one that helps them. So we have to be very prayerful about ourselves helping, but we always remember it's, you know, who else is going to save them? Only the Lord can, right? At the end of the chapter, he, this verse that we're, we wonder where Paul, Paul repurposes a lot of the Old Testament scriptures. I shared this, I think, last week. Dr. Michael Heiser, who's now with the Lord, um, was asked about hermeneutics and going to uh, seminary and all that, and he's a very uh, educated man. And he was talking about the way uh, we see some of the Old Testament scriptures repurposed in the New Testament from the Old Testament and they're head scratchers. Like we, I brought this up last week out of chapter 11 where it says, out of Egypt I called my son. Well, it's like, that's 11.1. And then we know that's part of the fulfillment of the Messiah coming out of Egypt, right? And he, and he think, what? How does, well, how does that prophetic? You read it in Hosea. Well, yeah, you can see that it would be true because that's what happened to Joseph and Mary and Jesus coming out of Egypt. Well, how in the world would he just like pull this out of like... So the point he was making was Paul wouldn't last two weeks in, the, in, a, in, a, in our seminaries. They'd kick him out because the way he was interpreting the Old Testament and repurposing it in the New. Since he wrote half the New Testament. So he flipped it on its head. We should be learning from the apostles who wrote the New Testament and how they interpreted the Old Testament. In your own Bible study, not just casual reading in your devotional, but when you dig in a little deeper and you start comparing Scripture with Scripture and your spirit taught... We have an unction from the Holy One. We're, we're spirit-taught. That's what, when you're a Christian and you're, you have the Spirit, He's the one that's going to teach you. You ever been reading the Bible and all of a sudden like, wow, I never saw that before. That sort of just jumped off the page at me. That's one of the great, isn't that great when that happens? Like, yes. And then you just keep digging. The next thing you know, you spent an hour in the Bible, right? And it's a wonderful experience. But isn't it kind of weird where you, you kind of, you, you, your mind, you get to know the Bible, and you kind of know where certain things might be, or you heard something, or you get your concordance out, and you, you track something down, and you think, wow, that, that really connects. That's what they did. The Holy Spirit connected that truth in the Old Testament with what they were trying to communicate in the New Testament. That's how it's repurposed, and that's what goes on in our devotional life. God is repurposing the scriptures in our lives. This is what you need to hear. This is what you need to apply. That's why study is important. So how does this one get repurposed? Right here when we read in verse 14, I, uh, O death, where is your plagues? I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your destruction. Anybody have a anybody remember where that might be used by Paul in the New Testament? First Corinthians fifteen, if you're taking notes. Fifty-five. 
but let me read the context of that. 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm going to start in verse 51 through uh, 56, or 57, 51 through 57. Behold, I tell you a mystery, and this is, this is, this is where the joy, we have pain in life, but these are the things that should give us great joy and anticipation. We have, so, you, we have no clue what's coming. We have sorrow and we have pain now, but let's just think about what's coming. And I think that's what's going on here. Behold, I tell you a mystery. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corrupt, corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of the law, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you see how this, is, this phrase is being repurposed by Paul uh, as to show the victory. God's going to destroy this. Turn with me to, this has got to be one of our favorite passages in Revelation 20. This is what's coming. Not only what I just read is going to happen, but in Revelation 20... We'll pick it up uh, in verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged each according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now I saw the new heaven and the new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. I don't know about you, but that puts a joy in my heart. This is coming like a freight train and nobody's going to stop it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hasten the day, you know. And as sure as that is, nobody gets away. God, as he ends that chapter there, 
nobody's going to escape the judgment and chastisement of Yahweh. There might be an outward appearance of prosperity. The east wind is a, is a symbol of judgment in the scripture. And when the east wind comes, the prosperity, what seems to be there, gone. The United States seems to be really prosperous. Do you realize this could go in a moment of time? It could just disappear. You take out our grid. If it's down for 30 days, a million pe- millions of people are going to die. If, what's that? Yeah, yeah. What happened to your wealth? Oh, we had a, yeah, we had a glitch. <laughs> yeah, a real big one. But again, this volley back and forth between the judgment and the repentance and the, and the mercy of God, and this is what we have in the final nine verses. O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord and say to him, Take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say any more to the works of our hands. You are our gods, for in you the fatherless finds mercy. And I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from him. I will be like the dew of, to Israel, and he shall grow like a lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread, his beauty shall be like an olive tree, his fragrance like Lebanon. And those who dwell under the shadow shall return, and they shall be revived like grain and grow like a vine. The scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, what have I to do any more with idols? I've heard and observed him. I'm like a green cypress tree. Your fruit is found in me. Who's wise? Let him understand these things. Who's prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. And so this is just that final call in Hosea's 40-year ministry to the, to the nations. Return to truth. Stop living a lie. So what we have to tell ourselves is the truth, is it not? Take the words. Make a confession. This is really what it takes. I don't know that a person coming to faith has to recall every sin that they've ever committed. I think that's pretty much... I don't even think that's possible. There's too many. <laughs> and the point is is a just confession of your guilt. I am guilty before God. I have sinned against God. And whatever you can come to mind, be honest about it before the Lord. State your confession. And this is what, what we're doing. Take away the guilt. That's what it is. I'm guilty before you, God. I'm asking you to take away that guilt. That's what confession is about. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon me. Receive me. And, and take, take words. <laughs> it takes words. Nobody gets saved playing the silent prayer. You got to mouth the words. There's something about, I don't know, you can pray silently, but ha- examine your own prayer life. Do you pray more effectively out loud than you do silently? For me, you know, I kind of get off track if I'm 
doing it silently, like, uh. but if I'm t praying out loud, it seems to stand more of a track. Anyway, um, but here's what their confession is, and they're they're purposing in their heart and their repentance. No more horses. Now, what is horses? What's that symbolic of? Arm of the flesh. It's like Israel was commanded not to multiply horses because he didn't want them to trust in their standing army. They, God was their protection. He, he wanted them to trust in the army of the Lord. No more idols. No more false worship. Cut down these groves. All these things under the various trees around the whole nation. Get rid of them and seek mercy. And so the idea of repentance, and this is rebellion, this complete self-centeredness, is it not? It's, I don't care about anybody else but me. That's really what rebellion is. I am sufficient unto myself. But repentance then would be no longer living an autonomous life unto myself, but now I'm living as unto the Lord, God-centered. I go from self-centered to God-centered, and that's what repentance is all about. And it me it's not changing your it is changing your mind, but you must change your mind in order to change what? Your actions. And when you change your actions, you change your direction in life. You're not running away from God anymore. You're running to God. And this is uh, what needs to happen. There has to be a change of mind, has to be a change in action. If they did all that, what would happen? Verse four get healed sin damages we need healing the backsliding you wouldn't battle anymore if you if a per, I'm convinced of this I've experienced it in my own life if you really get down to the nitty gritty and mean it and purpose it you'll be infused with a power to overcome any backsliding in your life you you will be on a passion and a, a mission to know God and that becomes your focus because you can't think two thoughts at one time if you can I'd like to talk to you after service I can't so if you make the Lord your focus and not sin because this is what happens with people who are getting caught in sin you know it's kind of like the guy that's addicted to you know let's just say he's addicted to chocolate covered peanuts and he knows when he goes to the grocery store, he knows they're in aisle four, down about three-quarters of the way on the right. So he takes his cart, and he's going everywhere except aisle four. Because if he knows he goes down aisle four, those peanuts are going in there. Right? That's what we do. And he, the whole time he's shopping, he's got these thoughts. Aisle four. <laughs> He's in bondage to peanuts, man. <laughs> right? Think about it. And this is what. And the next thing you know, he's on aisle four. If he never thought about peanuts anymore or what they were at, because he was thinking about something that's more important, he's not going to go there. It's controlling your thought life. I will keep who's he whose mind is stayed upon me. I will keep in perfect peace. Because see, that's a war. There's a war going on there. Temptation's a war. That's a battlefield going on in the mind. If you got your mind on the Lord, peace, war's over. That's how God deals with backsliders. And God, in, in that repentance, there's 
restoration and healing. And, and God, isn't, God isn't mad at the person who's repenting. Yes, you can do this. He's for us. God is for us. He's not against us. And so uh, following repentance, what comes after repentance? Joy of, rest- of restoration. There's nothing greater than to see someone saved, somebody restored. You know, some people get saved in later years, and you think, my goodness, how many years have been wasted but what's the Bible tell us? What the locusts have eaten, God can restore. So there's always hope, no matter what junction uh, we may be at when we come to the Lord and get serious with Him, God can restore and salvage. We're refreshed. We can continue to grow. Our roots can go down deep. We can spread our branches. We can be fruitful. And, and a lot of people think otherwise, but that's because they don't know how powerful the Lord is in our lives until they really begin to experience it personally. You just Verse 7, those who dwell under the shadow shall return. Dwelling under his shadow. So, so where a person who's not submissive but rebellious is destruction. The person who's submitted to God and comes under him is blessed. This is, uh, you really sense his love and you grow and you smell good. <laughs> you know, you want to, don't you, you know, we kind of all put off little uh, fragrances, right? And you, some people, you know, and you're in the world and you get to, you're talking to someone and all of a sudden it's like, ooh, ooh. It's not, that literally they don't smell, but you're picking up something vibe that's like, that's not godly. That's not good. It's not a good scent. But when you're around someone who loves the Lord and, and they're walking in the Spirit, they have the scent of Christ. They smell like Jesus. I want to smell like Jesus, right? There's a hatred of idols, and we know, according to verse 8, I have heard, I observe, God hears and God sees. And we can never forget that. That's what the fear of the Lord is all about. God hears me, God sees me. And so this is a challenge to us. Who is wise? <laughs> Who underst- let him understand these things. Who's prudent? Let him know. You know, if uh, anyone asks for wisdom, what will happen to them? from God. God will give it. He doesn't get mad at us for asking for wisdom. I think wisdom should be something we pray for every day. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me understanding. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement we found in this book. Lord, you're true to your nature. You can be no other way. And so, Lord, help us to walk in the fear of the Lord and uh, pray faithfully and walk fervently before you in zeal and in love for you. In Jesus' name, amen.